over the window. They're frustrated with each other. He's kind of between them. They're going back and forth. And one is arguing that she is going to die of heat stroke if they don't open the window. She's going to die of heat stroke. And the other woman is saying she is going to die of pneumonia if they do open the window. And they argue back and forth. There's this confrontation going on. And they finally call the conductor over. And the conductor is kind of a sheepish guy. And he kind of comes over and what can I do for you? And they're telling him what's going on. I need the window open. I need the window closed. He has no idea how to deal with this conflict. And so after listening for a little while, the proper English gentleman, he has to intervene. And he says, here's what we're going to do. First, open the window and that will kill the one. And then close the window and that will kill the other. And then we can have some peace. So we, so we solved the, exactly, solved the problem. Open it up, that'll kill the one. Close the window, that'll kill the other. And here's the thing. When it comes to conflict, what I have noticed in my life, and as time goes on, is we as a culture, we as a people, I mean, every, I'm talking the entire world, are not very good at handling conflict. How do you deal with conflict? And so for the, really for the next three weeks, as we close off James, this is what we're going to be talking about. It's not, it's not easy to know how to relate to people, or how to respond to people when we feel wronged by them. I mean, how many of us go through that? We feel something happens and you just feel wronged and you don't know how to handle it. So this morning, what I want to do is learn from the Bible. What, is, what does it say about dealing with conflict? How do we handle it when something goes wrong? How do we resolve that conflict? And particularly when it comes to believers within the church, okay, followers of Jesus Christ, how, do, how are we supposed to handle conflict when it comes? In Matthew eighteen fifteen, it says this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So what I'm going to try to do using the using James and also Matthew over the next couple of weeks, I want to try to boil down, if I can boil down biblical conflict resolution to five simple principles. Five simple principles that if you apply to your life, I think will help you alleviate or deal with or overcome whatever word you want to use most of the conflict in your life. And it's something I believe every single one of us need. We really need it. So these are short and simple, and I think most of you are going to remember them. But if you don't remember them, which because, you know, after if a couple days or a week or two, you know, you kind of forget what the pastor said or I, I, you kind of you understand a few of them. You remember, oh, I remember this verse and how we were supposed to handle that. But I, I try to boil them down, all five, and make them simple. But if we forget them next week, Pastor Adams said he's going to make a bookmark, you know, what I mean, so that we can have that with all five of them on there. You stick it in your Bible. And when someone aggravates you, you just pull it out and go through the list. All right. And you'll know how to deal with it. So we'll do five of those. We'll get those next week. So let's start with number one. Number one is consider the cause. Now, before I get into this, I say this every once in a while. And this is one of those times you might want to tuck your feet underneath your chair just a little bit. All right. Because. I'm definitely, or the word of God is definitely going to step on some toes here. 
All right. That's okay, though. I I think it's good to get your toes stepped on. I said that last time and someone who just came from another country literally was what he was thinking I was going to go around. He put his feet under his chair because he thought I was going to walk around stepping on people's toes. It's not literal. okay? it's just a saying, but I don't want to step. We're going to step on toes here. So maybe you want to tuck your feet under your chair. Number one is consider the cause. What is the cause of the conflict? You need to consider the cause. In James chapter 5 and verse 9, it says this. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Because here's the thing. Most grumbling, if we're really honest, and this is where we have to really, you really need to be honest with yourself or none of this is going to make, it'll make sense, but it really won't work effectively. Most grumbling and arguing or feelings that you get come from either pride or, or basically self-pity. Pride, most, not all, most will come from either pride, your pride is hurt, or there's a self-pity going on. Here's the problem, okay? Most people, and this is what I've learned over the last 54 years of my life, most people can only see things, experiences like events or situations from their own perspective. Most people can only see situations or experiences from their own perspective. How does it affect me? Why did the person do this to me? Why is this happening to me? It really becomes a self-focused deal and you, do, and you just can't see why anyone would do that to you. And here's one of the biggest problems in the universe. This is the biggest problem in the world today, bar nothing. Okay, We are blind to our own sinful nature. Now you say, no, I realize I'm, I can be wrong. And no, no, I'm talking about the depth of what the, what the Bible says about our sinful nature. I'm not, I don't, I don't want everybody walking out of here feeling terrible about themselves. We are created in the image of God and we have the ability to do wonderful, beautiful, miraculous things for other people. But the Bible is clear that we have a sinful nature. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That's what David says. So we have a sinful nature, but people, most people are blind to their sinful nature. See, the other person, when you get into a conflict, here's the mindset. The other person is capable of doing that to me or saying something to me or having that facial expression or having that attitude. But I am not, I don't, I'm not, maybe I, maybe I was a little wrong, but I'm not capable of behaving in that way towards someone else. And certainly I'm not capable of starting this conflict. They're the ones who started it because it really can't be me because let's be honest. Here's what people say all the time, which is the biggest problem. You hear it all the time because what? Deep, deep down, deep down. Really, when you get to the core of it, we're all good at heart. And especially me, for goodness sake, the rest of you out there, I'm the pastor. I'm, I'm good at heart. You know, some of you, like Jimmy, you know, he's not. He just has all kinds of issues and stuff like that. So we get into conflict. I'm good at heart. And deep, 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 deep down, maybe he's good at heart too. But he's the one who started the conflict. And we're like, it's like you feel like you're Mary Poppins, right? Practically perfect in every way. That's you. Everybody else is, you know, until the hun. But you're kind of like Mary Poppins and practically perfect in every way. And so you go into it with that mindset. If I can please, the next three weeks will be a waste of time if you can't sit back. And I don't mean beat up on yourself, but at least be honest with yourself that you are capable 
All right. Of having an attitude that creates conflict. You are capable of having um, personality, a personality or sins, besetting sins in your life. Different kinds of things that you've grown up with that people have pointed out for years. And, oh, something wrong with them. It's not me. It's not me. It's not me. If you keep that mindset that it's not me, it's not me, it's the other person all the time, you're going to not be able to walk through this process and deal and truly deal with conflict the way God wants you to deal with it. What does the Bible say? The Bible says a lot more. I'll give you two passages. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful. Listen to me. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And then in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 9, it says, who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? Who can say it? The answer is no one. Not a person in this room. No one has ever walked this planet can say that except for one person, Jesus Christ. He's the only person. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? See, here in James, Christians were, were basically grumbling against one another. And James was war- It was a warning. This is a warning. In James chapter 5, verse 9, it says, he warns them, stop grumbling and arguing with each other, because if you continue to grumble and argue against each other, you will be judged. Why are you going to be judged? Number one, because even if you're right and the other person's wrong, you're going to be judged for how you handle it. That's number one, how you handle it. Number two, most of the time, I have had experiences in my life in arguments with my wife where if God, the Father himself came, I'm not, and this is not an exaggeration, and said to me, are you right about this? I would say, absolutely, absolutely right. One, I'm using the word absolutely, 100% right. And if God said to me, would you bet your life on it? I would have said, yes. I definitely bet my life on it because there's no way that I'm wrong in this conversation. And then I, I've learned something and God's taught me something that I go back and I ask myself in it, when I'm in disagreements with people. I say, Lord, show me where I'm wrong because I'm thinking I'm five or ten percent wrong. But I at least want to admit my part. Maybe that'll resolve it. But you know what happens? God shows me where I was. I, I was the one who started it. By my attitude, something I said, something I said, maybe it created it. I'd have, I would be dead like five or six times over in my life if that actually happened. Because you think you're absolutely right. And then you ask God, show me where I'm wrong. And you're not 5% wrong. You're not 10% wrong. You're 51% or higher wrong. And that's the way. That's the way. So James is saying we need to be careful against grumbling and arguing and having the wrong attitude or we're going to be judged. So the first thing we need to do is we need to look into our own hearts and reflect on our frustration. I'm angry. You did something to me and I'm angry. First thing I need to do is take a step back. I need to reflect on my frustration. Okay. Is are my feelings? Is it justified? Are my frustrations justified? And honestly, you ask yourself, are my feelings legitimate? Of course, my feelings feelings are legitimate because they're my feelings. Okay, you're allowed to feel what you want to feel. But before you go and have a confrontation with someone, ask yourself, go into your own heart, reflect on yourself and your own sinful nature and say, are my feelings legitimate? If if you're honest, uh, let's be seriously. If you're honest, that's going to that's going to resolve about 50 percent of your problems right there. If you're honest with yourself, you're going to go, man, I, I didn't have to say that or I didn't have to have that. I shouldn't have. Or maybe I'm just overreacting or whatever the case may be. It's going to resolve a lot of conflict because the blame is going to go right here. And you're going to go, well, you know what? 
I'm going to let that go because I didn't need to or God's going to point it out what's really going to be really, really helpful for you. But here's the thing. James is basically saying, whether it's your fault or the other person's fault, you cannot let your frustration cause you to sin. See, it's not, you can't justify behaving a certain way toward another person just because they did something to you. He said, whether it's their fault or your fault, you have to handle it in a biblical way because you cannot let your frustration cause you to sin. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. When you get into a confrontation, you've got to sit back and ask God, how do I deal with this, Lord? You know, today we're, we're often upset because, and you think about this, okay? We live in an entitlement culture, and we're upset sometimes because, because of other people, when they get opportunities or they have advantages that we don't have. So we're angry and we're, we're grumbling and we're frustrated and we're letting that boil up because of what some, some opportunity someone else had gotten that we didn't get or some advantage that they have. They were born into that family. If, if I was born into that family. And so we, they have opportunities and advantages that we don't have. And why should they have those if we don't? See, this is wrong. If they don't, why should they have it if I don't? See, if I can't have it, they shouldn't have it. And people get all frustrated. We get upset. We, we, get, we get completely upset because we think that we're being mistreated or wronged in some way because someone has something that we don't have. We literally feel wronged. We feel like we're being mistreated. I honestly believe some people seem to live, you know some people like this, they seem to live in a state of grumbling or frustration. They're constantly talking about something that someone, this is not fair, you know, they're angry, they're angry when other people succeed. And they want to, they, and they, they, they take offense to that. Or they're angry when someone else gets accolades or someone else gets recognition for something that they actually did. But they're angry about that and they don't like that person. Or if the other person's life is actually just going well. You know this is true. Someone's life is going well. Oh, that's only because if they had the same things, blah, blah, blah. blah. And we get frustrated, angry and grumble against them because we don't have or their life's going well. Here's the thing. People are often angry not because of what is done to them but because of what is not done for them. It's not about, I have, I have been amazed that people have been very upset. People were the most upset with me sometimes. I realized, this is in the last couple of years, I realized, wait, this is not because I didn't do something for someone. It's because I didn't do enough for them. And that's what we do sometimes. I do it, you do it, we all do it. We're angry not because of something that someone did to us, but maybe because, and we want to confront the person, because of what they didn't do for us. And that becomes really, really frustrating. I have a clip from Rocky. Even Rocky Balboa knows this, and you know Rocky's not too bright, but he even knows this. Why don't you... So, you get the point. So when you start dealing with your frustrations, one of the first things you need to do is look within. Okay? Don't look around, point at everybody else. This is the reason, this is the reason, this is the reason. The first thing you need to do when you're dealing with conflict is ask yourself, is it me, Lord? Is, is there something I have done? Is, look within first. Deal with yourself first before you go and deal with the other person. 
Okay, so now let's just say you've, you've done that. You looked within, and you are Mary Poppins. You're practically perfect in every way, right? So you've done that. You look within. So what's the next step? What do you do next? All right, number two, don't wait. Listen to Matthew 5, 23 through 25. It says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned believers not to harbor anger. He said, if you harbor anger, it's like committing murder. All right. He equates murder. He creates anger and murder. He says, you're committing murder in your heart. The same same passage where he talks about if you're lusting after a woman, it's the same thing as committing adultery. He said, if you have anger and bitterness and uh, held up in your heart, you're harboring in your heart. It's like murder. So here's the thing. If that's the way God looks at anger, unrighteous anger. Okay. If that's the way God looks at unrighteous anger, don't you think we need to get rid of it as fast as we possibly can, as quickly as we can? See, I know a, I know a lot of people um, who have a hard time with this. They really, really struggle in this area. And you think to yourself, and, and rightly so, if someone, listen, pastor, if someone wrongs me, don't I have a right to be angry? The answer is yes, you do have a right to be angry. But you don't, you have a right to be angry, okay, righteously angry, but you don't have the right to stay righteously angry. You can, it's okay to be angry. You talked about this a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago. It's okay to be angry. And there's, there's, there's reasons why we should be angry. We talked about those. But even those right reasons, what James is saying here, what Matthew is saying, that you don't, you don't have a right to stay angry, to keep that anger boiled up inside you. See, if, if you don't let it go, if you let it fester, it will consume your life. And that's what God knows. God knows if you let that anger fester toward that other person that has wronged you, they have wronged you. That's not an argument. But if you let it fester, it will consume your life. I know people, and so do you, who find their, they're literally find their identity in their anger toward another person. Something happened to them in the past. I, I know pastors who had experiences in the past, 25 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, but I sit down and have lunch with them or have dinner with them. And it doesn't take more than 10 minutes for them to start bringing up the past. And you can see they haven't overcome it. They haven't dealt with it. And it has consumed them and they've never moved on. It's become their identity. People have had things happen in their lives, in their past, and that becomes their identity. They've been angry and they've been resentful for so long it's become who they are i've used this analogy before but i want you to hold on to it here's what they've done they've made that event their son s-u-n okay they've made that event their their son and their whole life revolves around that event their whole life revolves around that event what do you think satan thinks of that he loves it what he wants to do is have someone harm you in some way, and then your whole life revolves around that event, and they control you. So your identity is wrapped up in that, instead of your identity being wrapped up in who God has designed and called you to be. It's a perfect plan. Have my father do something to me that's really hurtful. 
And so my whole life revolves around, I'm going to prove this. I'm going to prove this. I'm going to, pr- I'll prove them. I'll show them. And you're going to show people. Your whole life's wrapped around who you're going to show. What? Let me tell you something about showing. I'm going to show them. You never show anybody anything. You know why? Because the people you're trying to show don't care. And so you spend your whole life doing something they don't even care about. But they control you. See, people have lost their identity because they've allowed certain events to consume their lives. They don't know who they are. They don't, they don't know who they are or what their lives could be like because they've been angry and they've been resentful for so long. They have been consumed by this for so long. It defines them. And I know a lot of people, I really do, I know a lot of people here have faced some challenging circumstances. You really have. You've had, you've, your past has been unreal. How you survived it is a miracle of God, and I totally understand that. And so listen, I don't want to minimize it at all. I don't personally want to minimize that, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to. But Jesus, here, here, here's, the, here's the really important thing. Jesus doesn't want that experience to dominate your choices or dictate your destiny. That's what we're talking about here. I'm not taking away from what you've been through. And God can use that to glorify himself and to make you a stronger person and to, and to really build your identity in Christ. He can take the worst of circumstances and turn them into the best of circumstances. Uh, you know, God can take all things and work them together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. What God doesn't want, what Jesus Christ doesn't want, is he doesn't want those things to dominate your choices or dictate your destiny. Nothing should dictate your destiny but God himself. That's what that's what James is talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about. See, the road to truth and the road to freedom is not often easy. It is really, really difficult. And for some for some people, even in this room, it may take professional help. You may need professional help to accomplish that. You need to sit down with someone who can counsel you and encourage you and support you. You need to get into a men's or women's group. You need to get into a life group. You need to get somewhere where people can come around you because this is not going to be easy for you. This is going to be a challenge. But you can overcome the challenge because you have the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ living in you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And nothing this world can throw at you can ultimately succeed, will have victory in your life if you don't allow it to have victory in your life. That's why we're followers of Christ. We have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We follow Christ. It means we have the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have this Holy Spirit of God working in us. You know, people say to me, and I've, I've used this before. I'm going to say it again. People say to me all the time, you don't understand my environment growing up. And they talk about their environment and how terrible it was and the things they went through. And I, man, it, it's, it, it brings me to tears. I, so it's not, I'm, I'm not making light of it, but your environment was horrible. And you look at your genetics and say, you know, my grandfather was, this and he was an alcoholic my great-grandfather was an alcoholic and this person did this and this person was that and so genetically and environmentally i got no chance let me let me tell you something let me tell you a truth that's just a truth okay and anything else okay is a lie here's the truth genetics are important environment is important but the holy spirit of god dominates both of those things when you have the spirit of god living in you people say well you have a tendency to be an alcoholic you have a tendency to be this you have a tendency to be that i say if i have the holy spirit of god living in me i have a tendency to be conformed to the image of jesus christ and though jesus christ the holy spirit of god living in you dominates in genetics and environment period 
period. Don't anybody tell you any different. You may have to work at some of those things to overcome some of the things, but the power of Jesus Christ living you, living in you will help you overcome those things. So the Bible is absolutely clear. Conflict needs to be handled quickly. We need to deal with it quickly. It's so important that in verses 23 and 24, God says, if you're in worship, you're worshiping him. And you remember that someone has something against you. You have something against that person. You are to leave the worship time. You are to reconcile with your brother or sister. And then you can come back and you can worship. That's how important it is to God. Because you can't truly, truly be free. Truly be free to worship him the way he wants you to worship. If someone else is controlling your life because of what has happened in the past. See, God does not want us to to have unresolved issues lingering in our lives because he knows if we allow those unresolved issues to linger, if we don't deal with them, they will consume us, they will destroy our lives, they will control our lives. And just so you know, a little side note, the reason that God calls people to forgive, people can't stand it sometimes when you preach sermons on forgiveness because that person doesn't deserve forgiveness. They deserve to go to hell in a handbasket and be done with it. Here's the problem with that. If that's your attitude, that person, okay, sinned against you. Absolutely. Was it right? It was evil. It was wrong. It was terrible what they did to you. But here's what God's, why God says you need to forgive. He wants you to give, forgive, not, not just for the other person. As a matter of fact, it's more for you than it is for the other person. Because once you forgive, you're free. You're free. There are people who harmed you. They're dead. They're gone. There are people you're never going to talk to again. You can't confront them. But that doesn't mean you can't forgive them. It doesn't say forgive and forget. I said forgive them. doesn't mean you can't forgive someone. You can forgive someone and still not trust them. And I'm not going to say, oh, forgive people and go back into a dangerous environment where people can abuse you. No way. Okay? But you can still forgive them. Forgiveness is a very quick thing you can do. I can forgive them. Trust, on the other hand, takes a long time to regain. You don't have to put yourself in a position where someone can harm you again, but you have to forgive that person. God has forgiven us. We should forgive others. Why? Because I've said this before, too. I'm sorry to repeat myself for the last couple of years here, but um, not forgiving people is like drinking poison and hoping the other person's going to die. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. They don't. They just control you. Let it go. Forgive them. Why? For yourself. To set yourself free. Okay, and let God deal with that person. Let God handle that person. So when you have an issue with another person, a believer or anyone, you need to deal with it quickly. How quickly? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26 says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, I'm saying that as long as you're going to handle it appropriately, okay, with all the things that we're talking about. Don't, don't, get the, don't get the attitude, that person has ticked me off and I'm going to deal with them right now. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about reflecting on yourself first. I'm talking about all the things we just described and more that we're going to describe. If you have those things down, okay, then you deal with it as quickly as you possibly can. Don't let those things linger in your life. Okay. Number three, number three, connect face to face, connect face to face. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their flaw. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. Notice I didn't say Facebook to Facebook or email to email or text to text. OK, 
okay, said face to face. Let's be honest, okay? We as a culture have lost the almost, we have, we're losing the ability to have face to face connection with each other, to have honest confrontation with each other, to sit down and look people eye to eye and really get engaged in, in, in a conversation. As a culture, we're, fa- we're fa- falling further and further away from face-to-face communication. I've gotten some of the nastiest emails and texts from people who then leave the church, okay, and never really connect with me. They don't connect. That's not, that's not confrontation. That's just, that, that's just, getting something off your chest and running away, okay? That's venting and leaving. That's not communication. Sending something and not allowing an interaction face-to-face is not communication. That's called venting. That's just venting. I've watched, you have all seen this, okay? I've watched battles on Facebook. I've watched verbal battles happen on Facebook. We, we've, all, we've all seen these battles raging on Facebook over different, different topics. How to parent. You ever see? And it's, and it's posted. It's not like they're doing it behind the scenes one to one. They're posting it right on Facebook. And they're battling over how you parent. This is not the way you put a diaper on. Well, I talk to so-and-so and not any good parent knows you put the diaper on this way, right? And they're going, oh, and they're, and they're aggressively going. And then other people, of course, have to jump in. So-and-so, Susie's right and John is wrong. This is the way you diaper a baby. My great-grandmother, right? You don't use these kind of diapers. You have to use cloth diapers or whatever the case may be. And they battle that over, over Facebook. They, they, they go, they, they, see, see, we need to make sure that we are going face-to-face. Jesus, that is not what God calls us to do. God does not call us to battle Facebook to Facebook, he calls us to sit down face to face and talk to each other. There's value in, there is such incredible value in face to face confrontation. You know, there's no way, no matter how many emojis I use, okay, smile faces, thumbs up, whatever else, there's just no way you can receive by Facebook or by email or by text you don't, you cannot understand my heart because you don't see my facial expressions. You don't, you know, it's hard enough when you go face to face with someone to understand their motives, right? And understand their motives and their heart. It's hard enough when you're talking to someone verbally sitting in front of them to understand what they're truly trying to say. It is in, almost impossible using any emojis you want to use to truly communicate with someone by email or text or Facebook or anything else. You don't, you don't, because you can't see what I'm saying. And when, when I say something and you react, I, I can stop and say, wow, I'm sorry, did I, and we, we have a back and forth conversation. I see a tear come down your face and I realize I touched a nerve and I need to be careful. Can I talk to you? Why, why did that bother? And then we have a conversation and we can come to a conclusion. But how do you do that when you're send, right? Frown, 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 frown face, right? No winking, no, you know, it's like, bam. How do you do that? And then the person, you know what they, you know what they can do? They can read it over and over and over. What the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, love keeps no record of wrongs. You guys have some letters that you've been keeping tucked away of someone who said something to you. Burn them. Burn them, okay? Burn them. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Let those things go. Then here's the thing. Firing off an email, firing off of, talking to someone on Facebook, 
All right. Doesn't do anything for the other person. And it doesn't resolve the conflict. It may allow you to vent and get something off your chest. That's why, mm, ah, you know, I'm going to boom and send that. I'm going to send that out. Teach them. That allows you to vent. And now you got that off your chest. But here's the thing. It did nothing for the other person. And it is not going to resolve the conflict. And some of you think, well, I don't care. Who cares? That's their problem. Well, you should care because Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 says, do not let any, any in a wholesome talk come out of your mouths. You say, well, let's talk. No, that, this, this covers the gamut. This is talk. This is talk. Okay. It says, do not let any, let any in a wholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. See, the difference between Christianity and or in religion, if you will, is this is real. God really means what he's saying. This is how we should live. Jesus lived this way and says, you need to live like me. Paul said, follow my examples. I follow the example of Christ. What was Paul's example? This was Paul's example. This was Paul's example. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. As believers, we are called to put other people first. Here, consider others, Philippians chapter 2, consider others better than yourselves. You should not only look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Consider how they feel. When we understand that, listen, when we understand that, what I just described to you, Consider others, okay, how they're feeling, building others up according to their needs that it may benefit the person who you're frustrated with. Why? Because you should love them more than you love yourself. Is that hard? Oh, my gosh. Yes. I am not standing up here and saying, oh, man, what's wrong with you people? This is easy. Uh-uh. I never said it was easy. I said it was right. I said it was true. So that's what James is calling us. This is what the Bible is calling us to do. Believers in Jesus Christ are called to put other people first. Consider how they feel. And here's the thing. If you will apply what I just taught you from the word of God, it will transform your communication. It will transform your conflict resolution. Transform it. Totally transform it. Just saying in an argument, God, show me where, step away and say, God, show me where I'm wrong. And thinking of the other person first that will transform, transform your conflict resolution. Okay, so the next one. This next one is so powerful and so dynamic and so amazing that it will leave you stunned and will change everything you ever thought about conflict resolution and probably change your life forever. And I'll tell you what it is next week. All right, so I love to, I was, I was like, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> this is a two part. This is actually three parts, okay? We're going to do the next two next week because what I want to do is close with communion. Okay, get a little practical here. I want to close with communion. So I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 11, starting in verse 23. I'm going to read that. Here's what I'm going to do. 1 Corinthians 11, 23. I'm going to read that. Then I'm going to pray. So I read it. I pray because some of you are here for the first time. So I read this verse. I read these verses. And then I'm going to pray for the bread and for the cup. All right, communion. 
And after that, you don't have to, if, if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you don't have to wait for anybody else. We don't, we don't have ushers coming around, passing it down the aisles, kind of like people to engage in communion. So the tables are set up in the back. So once I'm finished praying, you don't have to wait for anybody else. You just get up, take the bread, take the cup, come sit back down, you come up and kneel, whatever you feel comfortable doing, all right? And you don't have to wait for anybody else to take it. Does that make sense? Uh, so I'm going to read, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take communion together, and I'll pray at the very end. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So as we pray, I want you to remember that word, those words, examine themselves. That's what we need to be doing. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we pray that you would truly help us to examine our own hearts as we share in this time of communion. This is a very difficult discussion, Lord God. A very difficult topic for for all of us, but for some people in particular. So help us to truly examine our hearts as we share in this time with you. We thank you for this bread, which represents your body given for us. And Father, this morning, may we offer up our bodies as we as we just talked about considering others better than ourselves and caring about how other people feel. May we offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. But that means something, a living sacrifice. That means we're dead to ourselves sometimes, not considering what we need, but what the other person needs, showing compassion and forgiveness to someone else. So may we offer up our bodies as living sacrifices because of the sacrifice you made for us on the cross. Father, we thank you for this cup, which represents your blood that was shed for us. Because your blood was shed for us, Lord, we can enter into your presence and have conversations. Have just heart-to-heart conversations. Lord, we can talk about our frustrations, how someone else has harmed us and how wrong it's been and how much it has caused pain in our lives. We can just, we can, we can just talk to you about it, get frustrated about it, and cry about it and scream about it because of what you did on the cross for us. Because you shed your blood, we can have those kind of conversations with you. Because now we can have a personal relationship with you. And we're so thankful for that. God, we thank you for the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we ask for that power in our lives today. To help us overcome the pain of the past and those frustrations. And Father, if we're harboring anger in our hearts towards someone else... May you give us the strength to resolve that issue with them. We pray that you would set people free this morning from the grip of anger and resentment. Allow us, Lord, to leave those hurts behind. And before I 
I close here with your heads bowed, just want you to consider something. As you, as you pray during this time of communion, I want you to, you might have gotten some cards, you can write it on the back of your, your family news bulletin somewhere. There's a, there's a pen and the seat back in front of you. But just take a little piece of paper and I want you to write down the names or the events, some that event or that name of the person who's caused you so much anger. And I want you to ask God to help you to let it go. For your sake. Yes, for the sake of the other person, but for your sake, I want you to ask God to help you to let it go. Write it down on that card and leave it behind. Just come up here. There's these speakers up here in front of the cross. Just write it down at the end of the service. Just put that paper down and leave it behind. Let it go. Walk out of here a different person. Walk, walk out of here free from the struggles that you face. Father, thank you. We praise you for this time of communion. In Jesus' name, amen. I thank you for this time that we can spend together. Father, just once more, I pray for those who have been living in bondage. Not knowing who they truly are. Because the enemy has grabbed their hearts and and held them back. Fueled the fire of anger and bitterness in their hearts, Lord, to the point where they've forgotten who, who they are. And in some cases, who you are. Father, we pray that we would leave here renewed, restored, refreshed. We are redeemed. We are your children. We are joint heirs of Jesus Christ. We have the power of the resurrection living on us because of what you have done on the cross for every single one of us. May we leave here in freedom, wrapped with truth, your children. We want to honor you with our lives. So help us, we pray. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great day.